It's time for midday here on the Roll Radio Network, and I'm joined, as always, by uh, Bob Rogan and by our good friend Brandon Bennett and Susan Littlefield as we are getting things going here on the round table, and we'll turn it over to Susan right away, who is apparently in a wind tunnel right now. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> it's my fan. I'm that's okay. I'm trying to I'm blocking it right now okay <laughs> I, i've done football games that way before you know where you had to block See, the wind and stuff yeah i'm just trying to give the feel of you know the county fairs that are going on and state fair that'll be going on pretty soon where fans will be running all the time well, so i'm just trying to get people in the mood well we we hope to have uh, many fans around wherever we go so exactly <laughs> all right what exactly speaking of Speaking of fans, this is really cool. Coming up at 1219, Alex checks in with Jaylee Pope, a member of the youth ag group called BRAG, which is Big Red Ag Growers. So you're going to hear more about the program and ways that they're getting youth to get excited about being involved in agriculture. Jumping over to 1245, Chabella Guzman talks about autonomous drones. We're always wondering what's going on. Someday soon, farmers might have another tool readily available for them. And then Alex jumps back in at 117 as they're approaching the new school year, the head cook at Wilcox emphasizes the impact of the locally donated fresh produce that the school is having sent to them. And of course, it's timely because if you didn't know it, it's National Farmers Market Week. Oh, really? I did not know that. So there you go. So go out and support your local farmers market. Absolutely. And and get some fresh fruit. That's the best stuff. Thank you, Susan. Appreciate your time. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. All right, uh, we turn it over now to Brandon Bennett, and the Husker volleyball team comes into the season preseason ranked number two pretty good after coming off a national championship. You know, there's only one place better, but as each coach would always say, it's not where you begin the season, it's where you end up, and I'm sure head volleyball coach John Cook would agree. Yeah. We're going to hear from offensive coordinator for the Husker football team. A couple, three student athlete, former student athletes from the University of Nebraska, Kearney, going to be inducted into their Athletic Hall of Fame. The 100th edition of the PGA Championship gets kicked off, or actually got teed off, earlier this morning and it's interesting that we all have different perspectives in the world tiger woods got off to a quote inauspicious start according to the ap by double bogeying his first hole hey i would love to only double bogey a hole <laughs> to start off well to really double bogey at, at all so well, he didn't like the fact that he double bogeyed but i would take it every time listen if, you know i uh, there is different certainly everything's relative right well absolutely it, and they've got the excuses at the pga championship because they weren't able to get on to the bellevue course in right. st louis until late because of all the rain they've had down there. and because it was then so hot it then dried out all the greens and they had to rewater them so it's playing very long but it's also playing very tight it wouldn't matter to me it's still no I'd mess it up somehow. Double bogey is a good yeah, aspiration for me. That's a good way to start. Bob Brogan, how are things going in finance? We'll do it. Well, first of all, I want to say that um, Susan had a fan near her. Well, right. we have lots of fans back her, here of her. Very nice. Well so, done. Thank you. Stocks Thank you. are off to a mixed start today. And uh, also, um, producer prices are flat. Samsung is going to unveil a new phone or whatever. Thank Make goodness. a call on it. Because there's not enough phones out no. there. Those are some of the stories making headlines. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That's all coming up on Midday. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we are seeing corn, soybean futures, and wheat futures slide ahead of a government report tomorrow. With us is Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. When it has the flavor of a day before a big report is this called positioning by the traders yeah i think so do you especially given you've got two pretty big opposing forces right now working ahead of the usda numbers and we're in a second day of the u.s sanctions against russia really hitting the grains through the wheat which is through the russian ruble being at a new two-year low and so you see a similar price action once again today that we saw yesterday and it's very similar to what we've seen with the Chinese yuan and its weakness uh, with the sanctions against China. So you have that. You have a weekly export sales report mostly muted. Not a bad report at all, but nothing to really to shine a light on anything. We had some fresh meal exports reported uh, this morning at the 8 o'clock hour. But you also have on the other side of this 
um, this Russian sanction issue and the currencies working against you. And so I think this is why the market on both sides, buyer and seller, are being very respectful, especially given that the European wheat is leading the downside today. It's down about one and a half, almost 2% as they go into their close. Tomorrow's report will have uh, yield estimates by USDA. Do they usually uh, go down as we move through the uh, early part of the harvest season? They typically do, with unless you have the kind of crop ratings you have right now this year, especially when it comes to the corn. And Dewey, I'll have to say, in a limited amount of time, I went to Topeka, Kansas last night, and that's in the heart of the drought, the new drought monitor being out, that also being a factor in today's trade. That corn looked almost exactly like the corn I saw in north-central Indiana back in 2012. We've got actually combines rolling near Topeka as of last night, and I would suspect a large percentage of that crop will be shelled if not cut for silage within the next couple weeks based upon its condition in the field and whether it can weather another storm or another uh, a high wind event. So I was very surprised that the drought had done the damage it had done. And I think these are the things that we're hoping we get from USDA's report. But history would say don't count on it, especially given the USDA's crop conditions. The losses in these grain markets, are they going to be limited given the fact that we get that report tomorrow? I think they should be unless we take the dollar above that 95.50 level. Then you introduce the uncertainty of investor selling and deflationary bias. The gold market has been a really big flag that says we have more deflation than inflation. This goes against the Chinese inflationary numbers out last night. It goes against our own PPI numbers and our own CPI numbers, but those currency traders really have a lot of pull in this uh, market right now. Does an August crop report create more volatility than some other reports? You know, I think it would this year, Dewey, if they monkeyed around with the U.S. exports uh, and, and the Chinese imports, especially in the soybeans. And if we would get a surprise yield reduction in the beans, I think you'd have the monkey off your back as far as the bearish monkey, the leader to the downside, would no longer be the leader to the downside, theoretically. Well, pork carcass cutout today was higher. The lean hog futures rallying. In fact, limit up moves in the back months. Have we reached the bottom? I guess that's the question. Yeah, I think we have because the lean hog index is at 63. The soon-to-be lead month futures of October is at 51, 40, and that's with limit moves. So between what you say about the carcass and the index, I would think we have hit the uh, bottom in the hogs. The next step is to get the cattle and the feeders to turn higher with the hogs. Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to check in on our ag and our regional weather. I'm joined, as always, by Paul Perkins. And, and Paul, after really several days of kind of unsettled uh, situations, we're kind of kind of even keel today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, mainly dry. We could see maybe some isolated thunderstorms today with the front moving in from the northeast. But ahead of that front, it is on the warm and humid yeah. side across much of the area. Currently. Yeah, I was looking across the map. There's some uh, 90 in Holyoke right now. So yeah, uh, it, temperatures starting to climb. Yeah, luckily uh, for them, it, the humidity is very low in right. northeast Colorado. So it's not feeling like it is uh, close to 90. But much of the central and east part of Nebraska and Kansas in the low and mid 80s. Those dew points currently in much of the central and east. In the upper 60s to low 70s, but as you head towards southwest Nebraska, northwest Kansas, and northeast Colorado, those dew points actually in the 50s to the low 60s at Holyoke, where it is 98, 90 degrees right now, their dew point actually down there at 48 degrees, so their heat index is not even existing. Most of us, it does feel like it's in the upper 80s to low 90s in the central east due to the heat and humidity combination there. Today going to be our warmest of the next seven days. That front not having too much of an effect on our temperatures. It'll basically just shift our winds and maybe give us an isolated thunderstorm chances. Today the warmest of the next seven days with highs in many areas expected to reach into the low 90s. Isolated thunderstorms are possible this afternoon and evening from west central to eastern Nebraska with that weak front dropping in from the northeast. Little if any severe weather though is expected. Our sky is expected to clear out for tonight. And we will see some light winds as high pressure pushes in from the north. 
ridge of high pressure across the western U.S. That's still there. That will keep our temperatures tomorrow through the weekend right at seasonal levels, and it will also keep it mainly dry through the weekend. Monday into Tuesday, some small thunderstorm chances are back in. The forecast when that ridge breaks down and some low-pressure tracks north out of the southern plains. Still some forecast model uncertainty into just how much rain we could see with that system. Temperatures will be slightly cooler, but still right near seasonal. As that low departs, we'll see some dry weather return for the midweek. In the long term, it's likely Nebraska and Kansas will be slightly warmer than normal for Tuesday through August 22nd. For precipitation, the near normal to below normal rainfall in the forecast Tuesday through the 22nd in both Nebraska and Kansas. Kansas maybe has a little slight better edge at getting some rain in that long term. In the latest drought monitor, there was a one percentage point increase in drought-free coverage in Nebraska. Still abnormally dry to a moderate drought in and around Clay and Knuckles County and in the southeast around Nemaha, Pawnee, and Richardson County. In Kansas, a nice improvement, an 8 percentage point increase in drought-free coverage. That includes much of the central and west part of Kansas. If you're along and east of a line from Mankato to Russell and Medicine Lodge, generally it's abnormally dry to a severe drought. The two highest stages of drought are still in areas from about Olathe to Emporia and Marion. Weather factors driving the markets include stressful heat in the northern U.S., and Canadian prairie crop areas, and also historic drought continuing to grip Australia. The Northern Plains forecast will continue with above-normal temperatures and mostly dry conditions. That means increasing stress to filling corn and soybeans from soil moisture depletion. The Canadian prairie crop areas will remain mostly hot and dry through the end of the week. That's going to be stressful for their wheat, along with reducing the hay supplies for livestock. There are reports some fields of oats in the Canadian prairies are being baled for livestock feed due to poor grain production. After a very dry early start to the growing season, the Southern Plains expect moderate to locally heavy rain the next five days in southern portions. That could lead to possible soil moisture improvement just ahead of winter wheat planting and a late season benefit to row crops and pastures. The historic drought continues its hold on Australia primary eastern crop areas. That's going to lead to projections of a 30% decline in wheat production for this crop year and the eastern Australia drought likely the worst in consecutive seasons in more than 50 years for them. Boy, we got to stop talking about that. That's just, that just makes you sad every time you hear yeah. it. They're really struggling. But, you know, it's interesting how weather is right. This summer especially, it seems like we've really been lucky at least in the last few weeks with mild temperatures. And you look at places that are used to those in California, Hawaii, Cabo San Lucas right now, they're getting hammered. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, uh, of course, that persistent high-pressure ridge has been the problem uh, for much of the western U.S. We've been just on the eastern edges of that, so we've been escaping the uh, dryness and the heatness with that. But otherwise, uh, yeah, timely rains have been very beneficial for much of the Nebraska and western central Kansas. Still dry, though as you head into eastern Kansas and then, of course, towards Missouri, where it's been very dry there. And I've heard the mountain regions have been really dry, too. That's actually forced bears out of uh, gotten into people's houses and stuff like that because it's been so dry in the Rockies. Oh, sure. Interesting on the other side of that front range. All right. Very good. Thank you very much. Uh, Where would you go if you had to go find your weather? Where would you go? KRVN.com. All right. Thanks, Paul. Dewey Nelson with a market update on the Rural Radio Network. Traders continue to even up positions before USDA's report at 11 central time tomorrow morning. So we're lower in these grain markets. September corn, 368 and a quarter. December, 382, both down three. March, 392 and three quarters, down three and a quarter. August soybeans, 888, down five and three quarters. September, 894 and three quarters, down five. November 905 and three quarters down four and three quarters. Chicago September wheat 563 and three quarters down six and a quarter. And December at 585 and three quarters down five and a half. Kansas City September 578 and December 604 and a half both down six and a quarter. September Minneapolis wheat 628 and a quarter down four and a half. December 645 and a half down three and a quarter. Steep losses in cattle futures, big gains in lean hogs. August live cattle, 108.45, down 137. October, 109.27, down 172. December, 113.12, down 140. And February at 116.07, down 112. 
August feeder cattle, 149.15, down 150. September, 148.70, down 105. October, 148.75, down 122. November, 149.30, down 152. The August lean hog contract at 55.15 is up only 35. But October's up the $3 limit at 51.40. December hogs, 47.30, up 292. The Dow Jones 30 industrial average now moving 20 lower at 25,563. NASDAQ up 24 at 7,912. S&P 500 up 4 at 2,859. Farm Credit Services of America isn't just a lender that knows agriculture. We're a lender that serves agriculture. It's everything we do. So along with attractive rates, you'll find ag-friendly terms, services, and financial tools made just for you. You can also get the power of ownership, a voice in how we work, a stake in what we do, and a share of our net return. Call us. We're Farm Credit Services of America. Agriculture works here. In today's fast-paced world of agriculture, producers need accurate market information they can trust. Our program, The Fontenelle Final Bell, gives you a chance to ask the experts your marketing questions. I'm Susan Littlefield with the Rural Radio Network. Join us for The Fontenelle Final Bell podcast each trading day as we dig deeper into the factors shaping the day's market activity. Tweet your questions to RRN Markets and catch The Fontenelle Final Bell podcast updated each weekday afternoon at ruralradio.com. You can also search Rural Radio on iTunes and tune in. EPA listens to Dicamba discussion. I'm Shaley Peters with you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a look at your midday ag news for a Thursday. Proof that dicamba remains a complex and emotional topic was evident at a recent public meeting with the Environmental Protection Agency. Last week, EPA officials and a handful of other agency representatives traveled to farm country to gather views on whether the three low-volatility dicamba formulations available for use with extend crops should be re-registered. Vocal were farmers who insist the technology is needed to control resistant weed populations, industry, and those that have experienced injury in sensitive crops, trees, and nursery settings. The deadline to make a decision regarding Ingenia, Extendamax, and Fexapan herbicides looms for the agency. Dicamba is a 60-year-old herbicide with a known ability to volatilize and move beyond its spray target. Although the three products in question were reformulated to be lower in volatility, the EPA initially issued conditional labels, which expire in November and December depending on the product. We made the registration decision and set it up so it had a two-year time-limited registration so that we could evaluate it and see what additional changes to the registration are needed, said Mike Goodis, U.S. EPA Director of the Registration Division. Goodis confirmed that the agency plans to make a decision in August on the registrations. We have been pretty open that we really want to make some type of decision this month on whether to continue and if so, how the product would still be used, he said. And searing heat and drought will cut the European harvest of crops like wheat and barley to its smallest since 2012, a French consultancy said. Strategy Grains on Thursday forecast the soft wheat production in the European Union would fall to 127.7 million metric tons in 2018-19, down 4% from its previous estimate and 10% smaller than last year's crop. Lower barley durum and rye production would bring total EU grain output down to a little over 282 million tons, it said, 5% below last year and down 3% from its most recent estimate. Catastrophic yields in Germany and Scandinavia, along with disappointing yields in France, Italy, UK, and the Central and Southeastern EU, cut into harvests, according to the consultancy. The outlook for EU wheat is becoming more and more tight, strategy said. European wheat prices rose to the highest level in more than four years last week as a heat wave spread across the continent. The UK, for example, has had its hottest summer in four decades, with temperatures further south pushing records. Strategy forecasts that tight stocks around the world, with the likes of Russia and Australia also suffering suffering through the drought, will allow prices to continue rising in 2018 and 2019. 
and the U.S. says it will be imposing tariffs of 25% on additional $16 billion in Chinese imports in further escalating the trade war between the two countries. The U.S. Trade Representative's Office says customs will begin collecting the extra duties on 279 different product lines. The list includes a lot of industrial and machinery products. Agricultural machinery is on that list, including tractor pistons, cedars, planters, and irrigation systems. This will be the second time the U.S. slapped more duties on Chinese imports in a month, and the move comes as American companies complain that the more tariffs will eventually cost them the more to do business and raise consumer prices. China has promised to retaliate with another $16 billion in tariffs on U.S. imports. And that's a quick look at your midday ag news. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Thank you for joining us here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting, and I'm sitting across from Jaylee Pope. Jaylee, you're part of these, this BRAG Association. Tell us what BRAG is and why you're here. All right, so BRAG is a group called Big Red Ag Growers, and we go, we've go. we been going around the state touring a bunch of different sectors of agriculture. So, like, on a previous tour, we went to a potato operation, so we got to see all their potato farms and the potato bunkers and to see where they house all of them. We've also gone to a popcorn operation, so we got to see how complex making popcorn is for like the certain types of popcorn that we eat. And we've also been to a ranch that raises Wagyu, and so it's kind of interesting to see one of those not as common kinds of beef in our area. And so this group then is an agriculture group. Talk about how you got involved with it and how you learned about it. Well, it started in our county, so I knew through our 4-H extension about it. And so we got the applications in the mail, and we could fill those out, and then we were selected from who applied to be a part of this group. So do you have an agriculture background then? Yes, I do. I live on our family farm north of Shelton, and my dad is a bovine embryo transfer specialist. So I get to see kind of from calves that he pulls out as embryos to when they go to harvest, and we also send bulls to other places to be sold. So Jaylee, what are some things that you learned here that you can take back to your operation and share with your family? I learned that um, there's, especially here, there's a lot of college stuff that I learned. And like here being at the radio station of how some of these things get onto the radio. And like if we ever wanted to do a commercial for like my dad's business, then we would know like to take it to KRBN. Why would you recommend this group then to other people? This group really gets you out into different sectors of agriculture, so if you're not sure, like maybe you want to go into the agricultural industry, but you don't know exactly where, this gives you a lot of opportunities to go out and explore the different parts of agriculture to see what you like to do. And looking to the future, Jaylee, I know you're, you know, you still have high school to go through, but what do you think you want to do once you graduate high school? I definitely want to go to college. I haven't decided exactly what I want to do, but like I said earlier, Bragg has really like given me a broader view. I'm probably thinking about coming here to UNL, and it'd be really cool to like have an internship, like you said you had, like here at a radio station that led to your possible future career. And you're here with your fellow members, and they're sitting around us watching us interview. Did you know any of them before you started in this group? I know quite a few of them from the surrounding area. We're also, most of them are on the livestock judging teams and skillathon teams also in our county. So I knew quite a few of them before this, but I've also made some new friends. Perfect. Anything else you want to add? I think that even though you don't live in our county, you could probably still come and like come to Buffalo County and like ask about the program. And if you are really interested in that kind of thing, I bet we could probably find a way to get you an application so you could also join the group. And your experience overall with Bragg this year? It's been really fun going around with like all the other members and just getting out and seeing other parts of Nebraska. We thank you for your time, Jaylee. Again, that was Jaylee Pope. She's a member of the Big Red Ag Growers, and they visited us here at Nebraska Innovation Campus. From the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network.
Time for us to check in on sports. Here's Brandon Bennett. Good afternoon, Scott. The Nebraska football team practiced yesterday outside in full pads and helmets for the first time since the spring. Offensive coordinator Troy Walters likes the extra juice of full pads and says the players, quote, got after it, end quote, when practice was live for some plays. Then after practice, Walters said running back Trey Bryant is back to full go. We're going to be smart with his reps and make sure that he's ready to go September 1st, but he looks good making all the cuts until he's been in the playbook over the summer and even in the spring, and he knows what to do, and he's worked his tail off to get back on that field, and he's going to be an added bonus to our offense. The Huskers return to the practice field on Friday morning. Three former student-athletes will be inducted into the University of Nebraska Kearney Athletic Hall of Fame during homecoming weekend on September 15th. The new Hall of Fame members include football player Matt Brueggemann, men's track and field athlete and Eustis native Lance Pfeiffer, and women's cross-country and track athlete Paula West Mayfield. The 100th edition of the PGA Championship is currently underway at the Bellarive Country Club in St. Louis. The course is playing long and soft because of the rain on Tuesday and temperatures in the 90s that required the PGA officials to keep water on the greens. With much of the attention focusing on the young stars, such as defending champion Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, it's been the veterans who have gotten off to hot starts. 42-year-old Ian Poulter led the way at 300 par and 48-year-old U.S. Ryder Cup captain Jim Furyk and 45-year-old Stuart Sink were among a group one shot back. Another 48-year-old Phil Mickelson and 42-year-old Pat Perez were among a group at one under. Tiger Woods got off to an unauspicious start, playing in a feature group with defending champion Thomas and Rory McIlroy. Woods flared his opening tee shot into deep rough off the 10th fairway and ended that hole with a double bogey. The NFL preseason kicks off tonight for most teams. Top overall draft pick Baker Mayfield will see some action when the Cleveland Browns visit the New York football giants who have their own prize rookie and a second overall selection, Saquon Barkley. And Andrew Luck is expected to take some snaps for the Indianapolis Colts when they face the Seahawks in Seattle. It's been roughly 600 days between starts for the Colts quarterback, who has been sidelined with a long series of injuries. And an Alabama high school system has placed a prep football coach on leave after players were videotaped beating a teammate in a locker room. The Mobile County School spokeswoman tells various news outlets the action against Davidson High School coach Fred Riley is effective immediately. Nine players have been suspended and a $12 million lawsuit's been filed after video showing a then-freshman quarterback being beaten back in April in what his parents say was a hazing attack. The young player suffered a broken arm and police say they were called about an assault complaint. The school spokeswoman wouldn't comment on the action against the coach and Riley hasn't commented on being placed on leave but he told reporters last month that he plans to keep coaching. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is straight ahead. You're listening to the Rule Radio Network. Partly cloudy skies with the highs today of around 91 degrees. I'm Dave Schroeder. Federal officials say a large investigation into businesses believed to be involved in a scheme to knowingly hire immigrant laborers in the U.S. illegally saw search warrants or legally saw search warrants served on several businesses in Nebraska and Minnesota. Those businesses included several in O'Neill. Investigators say warrants were also served at Elkhorn River Farms, Hydroponic Tomato Growers, O'Neill Ventures, La Herdura Restaurant, and a grocery store called El Mercadito, all in O'Neill. In Minnesota, pork-producing giant Christensen Farms saw a search warrant served at its headquarters, as well as its truck wash facility in Appleton, Minnesota, and a producer plant in Atkinson, Nebraska. Other businesses were in Stromsburg, Ainsworth, Bartlett, and Royal, all in Nebraska. A former nursery and plant shop called Azalea Land has become an eyesore that neighbors in the city of Lincoln want to clean up. The city is considering spending more than $100,000 to clear out the property filled with debris, discarded greenhouse materials, and unsold flower pots. City officials say they've been fielding neighbor complaints over the property for years. City inspectors declared the buildings dangerous and structurally unsound a few years ago. Owner Hitashi Utsumi pledged to demolish and clean the property, but he missed deadlines by months. The city wants to take on the demolition, but the city county health department first has to remove asbestos, underground fuel tanks, and contaminated soil. 
Officials say a man is drowned at a private lake in eastern Kansas. The Kansas Parks Department reports 35-year-old Melvin Yuji of Kansas City, Kansas, drowned Wednesday at Tanglewood Lake near Lacine. Witnesses reported they saw the man jump off a platform, but later couldn't find him and called authorities. Two 17-year-old candidates in the GOP race for Kansas governor received a total of more than 3,700 votes in Tuesday's election, which might have made a difference in a race still too close to call. The two high school candidates, Tyler Rusick of Prairie Village and Joseph Tutera Jr. of Overland Park, received a combined 3,758 votes in the GOP primary. Great ag and news coverage at your fingertips. Click podcast. Click podcasts and videos right under Listen Live at krvn.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Nick. Someday soon, farmers will have another tool to give them an edge in the field in the form of autonomous drones. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. The American Robotics and Mid-Kansas Cooperative, MKC, have been collaborating on the drones this summer. Troy Walker, Precision Ag Manager and Agronomy Field Sales Manager at MKC, says drones are not new, but if they can get some regulations changed, he says the implications could be tremendous. Well, there's huge implications to how that could help our team and our growers, uh, allowing us to have much higher resolution imagery than we get with uh, satellites, to see things like stand counts, specific weeds, um, just things you you just can't get from a satellite, and more frequency, yet we don't have to have somebody out there spending, you know, 30 minutes or 45 minutes to fly it and then go and process it and do it all on its own. So they're proving that today. I would say their biggest challenge so far today really is the regulation. Uh, The technology works. The thing takes off, it lands, It takes the pictures, it processes the images all by itself without any intervention, which is which is pretty awesome. Um, But we today they still have to keep it uh, in line of sight. So we got to get that regulation uh, changed to meet the new technology, and then we'll be able to really utilize this thing uh, much more extensively. Autonomy is not without challenges. Walker says American Robotics overcame lots of challenges for autonomous flight really landing it and and landing it accurately enough that it can recharge itself um, and then be able to stand up to all of the environmental conditions that we all know. I mean, you set a box or, you know, a piece of technology out in a field uh, for a a season or even several months, and it takes a real toll on it, just the wind and and the dust and all of that. So some of that's still coming along, but um, I think that was that was a lot of the challenge was for that thing to be able to really land itself and charge uh, and they've got a fairly unique uh, setup to make that happen. Another challenge was the data the drones can gather which can be several gigabytes. Walker says the large amounts of data can be difficult to transfer in rural areas. To be able to transfer that data over a cellular connection which is what you'd need if you're going to be out in you know rural parts of the country that's that took some work as well. Um, So that's why they have to do a lot of processing of the imagery before they're able to send it over. I'll also say, uh, and I don't know about your area, but we do still have pockets where uh, the data connection via cellular is not that great, and that's a limitation as well. Um, So they're working on some ways to to mitigate that, you know, that data transfer. Certainly, if you could ever hardwire it, that that would be the best, but you know, you're, you're going to be limited on how many fields you can look at if you have to hardwire the Internet. Walker says farmers in general like hardware and technology, and the ones they have talked to out in the fields are intrigued by the drones. You look at the drone and, the, and, the, and all of that, I mean, there's a lot of complexity to it. So they're very intrigued by it. Uh, of course, the fact that it can all be done, you know, by itself with no intervention uh, is pretty cool. Every grower that we go out and fly... Uh, either one of these drones for or one of our other drones for um, they're just they're just really impressed you know it's still fairly well a novelty here as far as you know seeing it now we have growers that have them as well but Walker explains some of the issues the drones can find for farmers in their fields uh, you know I think it's still a matter of 
you know, establishing value. And we're getting better and better at that, you know, whether it's satellite imagery or this higher resolution drone imagery, you know, being able to see skips and doubles, finding that, or mostly skips, and, and finding those skips fast enough that you can go back in and do a replan. You know, we haven't really done it for stand counts, but I think there's some value that will come from that. Um, probably even as soon as next year, that'll be more feasible to do. MKC has been collaborating with Winfield United as well to do trials this week of the drone. Walker says some farmers are asking why they did the trials now, as there isn't much to see and they can't make any actionable decisions. You know, it's not like we're seeing nitrogen deficiency and you're able to go back in uh, this time. And, 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 I, and again, our geography, it's been pretty rough on corn this year, so there's not a whole lot to see there. But it's really, and, and this is why MKC wanted to do it, we believe that this technology is really pivotal for moving forward. And whether it's just imagery or, you know, there, there's countless other things, whether it's, you know, sp- uh, specifically spraying certain weeds in the future because it identified them, um, you know, the technology is going to be there, but it takes people investing in, in these iterations to get it to where it can be in the future and be of real value to our growers. So I know that for drones to be valuable in our marketplace, this technology has to happen. They've got to be able to do it with very little to no interaction from our team because nobody has time to, to put somebody out there and, and, and do that. That's Troy Walker with MKC talking about agricultural automation and how it will assist producers in the coming years. A trial is underway to demonstrate how autonomous drone technology can be practically integrated into routine farming operations. MKC is hosting a drone pilot now through August 10th at three locations in Kansas in collaboration with Winfield United and American Robotics. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shabella Guzman. Stocks are mixed with Midday Business Report for Thursday. I'm Bob Brogan. Stock indexes are mixed in midday trading on Wall Street, moving between slight gains and losses. Technology stocks are rising while energy companies and banks slip. Bond prices rose today, sending yields lower after the Labor Department reported that wholesale prices were little changed in July. A sign inflation pressures weakened slightly. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note fell to 2.94%. Yelp jumped more than 27% after raising its revenue forecast. Rite Aid slumped more than 10% after calling off its sale to the grocery store chain Albertsons. FlowServe, Viacom, and Norwegian Cruise Line all rose sharply after reporting solid results. U.S. wholesale prices unchanged in July after two months of large increases, the Labor Department says the producer price index which measures price changes before they reach the consumer, increased 3.3% last month from a year earlier, down slightly from 3.4% in June. Gas prices and other energy costs fell after two months of strong gains, and food costs also declined. The price of soybeans and other oil seeds fell 14%, the most in four years after China imposed tariffs on them in retaliation for U.S. duties. Samsung is expected to unveil its next major smartphone at a New York event today. The unveiling of the Galaxy Note 9 comes about a month before Apple is expected to unveil new iPhones. They might have some takers on helping with this task. The collapse of a Kentucky distillery's warehouse last month has crews still cleaning up and trying to salvage roughly 18,000 barrels of aging bourbon. News outlets report the Barton 1792 distillery in Bardstown has been working one barrel at a time to save the bourbon. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Hi, this is Jim Baldonado with The Home Agency. We continue to get a number of calls on LRP or livestock risk protection, and as over the last couple months, the market has been moving up about $20 per hundred or so. Remember, when purchasing an LRP contract, you must do so after 3.30 p.m. in the afternoon and before 9 a.m. the next morning. Things that you need to look for is the expected ending value and the coverage level. We always look for coverage level to be near 100% or anything over 99% is good. Once you know the coverage level, you will then know your coverage 
average price. Then you will need to decide how far out you want to go. So for example, type 1 calves up to 599, you may want to go out 13, 17, or maybe even 21 weeks. Where if you're thinking of backgrounding them until maybe the first of the year, you may pick a January or a February time frame for cattle up to 900 pounds, whether they're steers or heifers. I have had a few people say, LRP just doesn't work and it didn't pay me the last time I bought it. Well, the reason it didn't, you didn't collect, it's because the market went up and you collected out of the market. LRP isn't any different than any other insurance. If you have a loss on the LRP, that means the market moved against you. You would rather collect a higher price at the time that you sell your animals and let your LRP expire worthless. So continue to watch these markets and give us a call so we can go over what needs to be done before you decide to write a contract at 10 o'clock some evening. For more information, call home, the home agency that is, 800-245-4241. The Western Scrub Jay. I was taking my science class on a virtual reality bird watching expedition. All of a sudden, Charlie Kane shouts, He had spotted the elusive black swift, a bird rarely seen in the wild. For a brief moment, Charlie had not the eyes of a nine year old boy, he had the eyes of an eagle. Teachers just have better work stories. Find out how creative teaching can be at teachdfw.org. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council. Jacoby Carpet One, Floor and Home in Hastings and Kearney, the Cowpoke in Kearney, and Future Direct in Hastings. Good afternoon. Dewey Nelson with a market report on the World Radio Network. As has been the case through much of the session, here shortly before the close, we continue to trade lower in the grain and soybean futures as traders are squaring positions before USDA's report tomorrow at 11 Central Time. September corn 369, December 382 and three quarters, March 393 and three quarters, all down two and a quarter. August soybeans 888 and three quarters, down five. September 893, November 903 and three quarters, both down six and three quarters. Chicago September wheat 564 and a half, down five and a half. December 586 and three quarters, down four and a half. Kansas City, September, 578 and three quarters, down five and a half. December, 605, down five and three quarters. Minneapolis, September, 632 and a half, down a quarter. December, 649 and a quarter, up a half. Cattle futures, moderately to sharply lower, some triple digit losses. August live cattle, 108.25, down 157. October, 109.05, down 195. December settled 112.97, down 155. February 116.50, down 70. August feeders 149.35, down 130. September settled 149.02, down 72. October 149.20, down 77. November 149.75, down 107. We break a 10-day losing streak in lean hogs, with August up 17 at 54.97. But October was limit up at 51.40. Wall Street. The Dow down 11 at 25,572. NASDAQ up 33 at 7,921. S&P 500 up 4 at 2,860. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. You're going to need our technical skills, our math, our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our organizational skills, our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise. We'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Next, we discuss the livestock futures trade with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, what a day. Uh, We had some uh, pretty sharp moves in uh, cattle and hogs. The funny thing is, is they were in opposite directions, and it was the hogs higher and the cattle lower. Uh, and like I mentioned, sharply uh, 
sharply traded uh, moves in the uh, livestock today. Cattle came under a lot of pressure. It looked like a lot of liquidation going on. I think there was has been, and I think uh, we were ending the uh, cattle hog spreads by buying back the hogs and selling the cattle. That seemed to be uh, uh, prevalent uh, in the uh, trade today, and that really put uh, the pressure on the cattle. We had some triple-digit losses in the first three months of the cattle. The cutouts uh, at noon were off just slightly. Just call them steady, basically. And uh, no factor there. Cattle have traded and seemed to be pretty much near steady. but uh, that had no effect on the uh, futures today. Feeders came under a little bit of pressure following the cattle, and uh, but uh, managed to rebound just a bit in the uh, closing uh, minutes. Over in the hogs, though, sharply higher limit up in the uh, October contract. In the rest of the months uh, following suit, uh, with one other limit up in the April contract, the rest over two dollars higher, with the exception of the August. So a very good day uh, for the hogs. And like I said, I think a lot of it is just unwinding of uh, cattle hog spreads. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. You can reach Joe at 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. a day keeps the doctor away but so do fresh peppers onions watermelon cantaloupe tomatoes that list goes on i'm alex wachowski joining you on the rural radio network and on the phone i have tannis tuig wilcox hildreth public schools head cook tannis we're going to discuss fresh produce in schools and i thought this was a timely topic for two reasons one it's really hard to believe but school is starting across the state in the next week or two And two, it's actually National Farmers Market Week. And so in a roundabout way, schools have the opportunity to benefit from farmers markets or simply hometown gardeners. So we'll look at the big picture first. How does a school as a whole benefit from donated fresh produce? Well, I would say the first most important part is the financial aspect. It really helps with the school's finances in the school lunch program, which is usually not a self-sustaining program. But there's also the value of the vegetables and fruits that we get in the fact that the nutritional value is outstanding. The colors are bright. Uh, The kids are attracted to that. Eye appeal adds to the children trying a new product or produce and maybe liking it. And, of course, the taste value that you have with fresh food out of the garden. You just can't beat it. And you work in the Wilcox School, and so that is a small rural community, but not even all of those students have access to that fresh produce. Have have you had to educate them on where any of that comes from? Actually, several times they'll even ask us, what is this? You have to explain what it is, where it came from, possibly even try to convince them of what it might taste like and where they can get it. Maybe their mom and dads aren't buying it at the store. You know, maybe they can get it in a farmer's market, someplace like that. But, yeah, there's a lot of education that goes right along with getting the students to try everything. I know speaking personally, I went home last weekend and my mom sent me home with tons of fresh produce just because she wasn't going to be able to use it. So this is a great way to get rid of produce without wasting it, and somebody else is going to benefit from it. Absolutely. We'll take anything. Last year, I know that we got cucumbers, tomatoes, onions, peppers, watermelon, and cantaloupe, leaf lettuce, and I think we even got some yellow and green string beans, I think possibly from your mother. And uh, it just it's such a help to us, and it's just great but they cannot be processed they have to be simply picked possibly cleaned off and given to the kitchen no cutting slicing anything like that so just out of curiosity tannis when you accept that fresh produce can you then take that produce and cook it or freeze it or do you have to serve it fresh too no i can do anything i can do in my kitchen with that fruit or vegetable but 
generally speaking, we put it right out on the fruit and salad bars because it's gone. I think this is a great reminder for gardeners, big and small, that that excess produce does not have to be wasted. And I also think that it's a great reminder for schools, big and small, that donated local produce not only provides that added nutrition, but it also provides a little bit of financial relief and those learning opportunities for students. So thank you, Tanis, for joining us with that information. From the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we close lower today in grain and soybean futures ahead of a USDA report coming out tomorrow. With us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Is it all about the report, or why were there so many bearish factors today? Uh, I think the volatility, just folks getting prepared, taking positions off uh, ahead of what could be could be a bearish number. I think regardless of how it shakes out, it'll, it'll look good relative to where we were a year from now. The, the big debate here being prices are much higher than they were a year from now, especially on the uh, the wheat side. We're buck fifty uh, or buck thirty actually over where we uh, delivered the contract back in uh, oh just two months ago in the July. So I think tomorrow maybe gives you some opportunities to jump in from the long side if you are Gavin waiting on a break and uh, if it's bullish, you know I think this thing could take off and trade above six dollars rather quickly. Well, you look at uh, these grains today, there's some conjecture out there that uh, this is a big, rather short-lived event that uh, we're going to set ourselves up in the near term to medium term to go back up again. I, I think that's the trend. Now, you know, you look at some of the deferred contracts and where you could see some demand rationing. Look at that March contract trading above 4 bucks. I don't think we're there yet for there, that, but, you know, we're seeing July in the mid-fours, or the mid-to-low-fours now, and um, you know, some of the deferred contracts into the next crop years actually at some pretty good levels here. So, um, you know, watch those contracts as well. I think the, you know, everybody who's into this, these markets are into the front month contracts, but there's a lot of interesting things going on in the back month. Uh, we've got two mixed signals out from the corn side. You got a big carry between, uh, December and July of, of next year. And then you have, uh, you know, essentially a carry out that, that should be pretty bullish, uh, for, for the market, you know, looking at one six, one seven, especially relative to where demand is. So, uh, at this point, I think you you know a little bit mixed in with a, a, a kind of a crash in the ex, uh, energy markets. We've seen ethanol sell off in the last couple of days. So you know it's been a little bit weaker, and uh, of course the crude oil picture has been ugly. Uh, that it's kind of led commodities lower. So that could be what's going on as well. I, I tell folks I think if from a corn and wheat side, I'd be buying breaks on the report tomorrow, and from the bean side, I'd be selling rallies to get a chance. All right now the corn crop is of course about 15 days faster in development than usual. So end users are also taking a look at that new harvest, right? Yes, and I think that's uh, you know where the debate is. For somebody who I help buyers as well, and you know looking at March here, is it, do I really step out and try to start buying March here in the in the high mid three nineties? Uh, that has not been the decision that has paid off very well in the last couple of years. But that carry out is big big differences, and tomorrow we might get the USDA accentuating it even further. So you know keep your eyes open for the global numbers, which I think will be bullish regardless. But then those US. Uh, uh, numbers will be the most important factor. All right. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago.